The hard part about perspective is that in order to truly see another without cognitive bias, one must completely abandon their current perspective to be completely open to receive new information. That's absolutely terrifying to people. Why? Because abandoning your current perspective challenges the ego in a head-on fight for survival. With the ego's main role being to keep the persona safe, this presents an obvious, insurmountable challenge to someone who has not integrated the ego. Akin to seeing the world through different shades of sunglasses, even a slight change in tint can mean the difference between seeing an object completely clearly versus not being able to see it at all. Curriculum development is a challenge, and that is what we are going to discuss in this podcast episode number 72. And you have Kalen with uh, Modern Day Sniper here flying solo today, and we are going to discuss some debrief points of the Mountain State Tactical Officers Association Sniper Week that we just taught uh, in Helena, Montana. So we had some great experiences there, and uh, it was a challenging scenario to try to bring together a basic and an advanced course to run them concurrently. And I wanted to talk about those challenges and some of the perspective that was gained after seeing the performance and the course structure of this past week. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. All right, guys, this is Kalen coming at you solo this time. And I know Phil did a solo episode for you guys last time. And, um, you know, it's pretty interesting. It's funny. Uh, these podcasts can be kind of challenging. And, you know, we haven't done too many of them. I think Phil and I have done a couple of solos. Uh, it's kind of difficult um, just talking to the microphone. Uh, it's it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so what we're going to try to do for this episode is, um, I kind of had this little epiphany and my epiphany was, um, I had a lot of thoughts about how this, uh, this last week's training event at Mountain States Tactical Officers Association went. And some of these points might be considered inflammatory to, to some, and that's okay because that's how, that's how we grow and develop. And that's really the, the, you know, the, the genesis of this particular podcast episode is talking about that um, with both an internal dialogue uh, within myself as well as uh, talking with our other teachers uh, that were there teaching with us. And it, every time uh, we teach a law enforcement course, which admittedly we haven't in, in some time, it's been a part of our, uh, our business that really has not been something that we've chased after. And I think for for good reason we're we're developing the modern day sniper aspect of our monthly subscription service and it's growing very steadily so our focus has been directed a lot in that regard as well as more of the civilian uh, open enrollment type courses so with that being said you know generating the curriculum for the Mountain States Tactical Officers Association has been, um, I wouldn't say a challenge, but it's always one of those situations where whenever I step in front of a class, it doesn't matter whether or not um, I've been doing this professionally for 15 years. Uh, every time I get in front of a group of students, I'm always nervous. I always have anxiety. I always um, have butterflies. And I, and I started to like think about that and try to pick that apart and say like, why, why do you get nervous over that stuff. And it's like, for me, it is because I've come to the conclusion that it's because 
I'm really concerned with making sure everybody there has uh, an incredible experience. Meaning um, these people came to us and they had trust in us uh, and confidence in us with their training. And on this, on the open enrollment side of the house, you know, your training um, comes at a price, a monetary price, as well as an energetic exchange while you are at that class, how you're interacting with us, what is it that you're actually um, coming to get from the course, what your intentions were, and then making sure that we can meet those, those intentions and help you achieve your goals. And so like, that's a very personal thing for, for me. So uh, even on the, even more so on the professional side of the house, I know that for not uh, very many units out there, your training time and training funds for off-base training or uh, bringing in another instructor or having an opportunity to go see another perspective, those things are, uh, you can't take those for granted in those situations because I've been in the situation knowing how little training time that you get. Uh, how little live ammunition you get to train and how often um, you see different perspective, which is not very. And so for me as a teacher and, uh, you know, saying, hey, I am modern day sniper in terms of that is the brand that I represent um, as Kalen. When I, when I step in front of students, I take that very seriously. And so that's where those that anxiety and those butterflies come into play. So when Mountain State's uh, TAC Officer Association first came to me, it was, I think this was our fourth year. I don't know, time kind of starts to run together after a while, man. It, it gets pretty crazy. But I think this is our fourth year, and um, we do this um, we do this for MSTOA because we've had some personal connections there uh, in that region, and it was something that, like, hey, would you be willing to come do this? And at the time, it was um, it was pro bono. Uh, we still do do it pro bono, uh, simply because we understand that these officers are not going to get an opportunity to train like this very often. This might be the the only, or you know, the second or two times that these officers get a full four days of concurrent training without having to be broken up to do, um, you know, their patrol duties. So that's, uh, we take that seriously because we respect your time and we understand, you know, from being snipers in the military, we understand that like, Hey, you know, this stuff, uh, it needs to be respected. So when we developed this curriculum, we wanted to, well, first off, we when we started teaching MSTOA, I only did one class, and it was just because there was only me. Uh, and then uh, two years ago, MSTOA asked us to do a basic and an advanced course and run them concurrently because the classes were getting filled every year uh, without chance of uh, of getting in unless you were sitting on the registration button. And now I think that's super cool. Um, and I, and I'm very grateful that people want to come train with us. But at the same time, I was just like, Hey, we can't, I can't continue to take more bodies without having somebody else there because it's going to reduce the student experience. And that's like, that's what we're all about is the student experience. Because I, I think that that's, that is really what, what, uh, you know, formulates the shooter that, that we can formulate is the student experience when they come train with us. So 
we wanted, uh, they wanted to have a basic and an advance going at the same time because they had such a demand for uh, registration. And it was like, okay, well, when Philip came on board at Modern Day Sniper, we were able to fulfill that. We were able to say, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we can do that. Um, because now we have that, that, uh, that other body. And although that other body, you know, helps out when you have 10 people with one, with one teacher that can really, everything's got to run super smooth or else the class is going to get derailed by, you know, whether it be a gear issue or something to that effect. And so we tried to run that last year and we ran into problems and, and it was more along the lines of, we kind of were scratching the tip of the iceberg last year when we were trying to get this to go in a concurrent class. And we started to see that a lot of these skills uh, were very difficult to delineate between a basic and an advanced skill. And so last year we tried to make it work and, and for, I mean, everybody got a great experience, but we also, number one, we knew we needed more bodies if we were going to run that, run it at that way again. And that's exactly what MSTOA wanted this year. So we decided to go ahead and do it again, but we brought on uh, two additional uh, instructors to the team. So it was myself and Philip and uh, Corey Robinson, who just recently uh, exited the Marine Corps, and he's doing the van life thing with his wife uh, up here in the Pacific Northwest. And they're looking for kind of a place to settle down in this area, uh, or well, this ge geographic region, I guess. And I reached out to Corey and said, hey, man, would you be ready or would you be willing and able if you're in the area to, to participate with us and help us out? And he obviously um, enthusiastically volunteered. And then I also uh, brought Owen Mulder, um, whom uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys, a lot of you listeners can remember from him being on the podcast. Very well received. And since Owen's been um, on a couple of our Headspace Hub sessions, because Owen has a background in psychology, and that's really what those Headspace Hub sessions focus on. And so he's been uh, showing up there within the Modern Day Rifleman Network and again, very well received. So um, Owen has a, uh, a tremendous amount of knowledge regarding how uh, the brain works and how uh, human psychology influences performance, as well as uh, Owen brings to the table a background in observation. He's an extremely proficient sniper, combat veteran sniper, with a lot of experience on both the conventional and the special operations side of the house. So it was a no-brainer to bring him in, in on board. And so we had four teachers and then we split the class up. And while we were kind of splitting the class up, uh, we, we identified all of the core curriculum points. And, and so I, I might be tipping our hat here a little bit at how curriculum, how we develop curriculum. And it doesn't really matter because we, curriculum development might be different for everybody, but in the grand scheme of things, what you're trying to do is get a student to achieve a specific task or standard. And in order for you to get that person to do that, you have to structure the curriculum in a, in a downstream manner by identifying the goal first and then, and then identifying, okay, what are all of the supporting tasks uh, and successes in those tasks that have to be accomplished to get that student to, that, to reach that goal? And that's generally how you know, curriculum development goes. And you, you do your best to like cut out all, cut out everything that doesn't directly apply to that, to, to a 
obtaining that specific task. And so therefore you have your curriculum. It's easier said than done, but that's generally how it's done. And so I started to jot down like, hey, what is it that I want these guys to cover? Because admittedly, uh, the year before, it, it kind of turned into a shooting course. We had some really, really terrible weather uh, last year. It, it snowed and rained on us every day, and it was like maybe 35, 36 degrees outside. So doing anything outdoors, it, it just, it, aside from shooting, it just meant that it was going to be, um, it was just going to be gnarly and nasty. And we just decided that, hey, these guys would be better served for this block of training to do other things. So this year we wanted to focus on a lot of the, um, uh, a lot of the, the other tasks that snipers do like 90% of the time, which would be uh, employment, mission planning, uh, basic sniper skills that, that, you know, cover camouflage, concealment, selection, occupation, and positions, observation, um, collecting and reporting, and how uh, communication plans and all those things. And so we wanted to go ahead and implement that stuff. And we, we had, okay, so we have a basic side and an advanced side. And so sometimes these basic students that are showing up to these courses, I have no idea what level of um, competency that individual has regarding basic skills. And I would love to be able to say that if they've been to an accredited basic sniper course, that they would be at a certain level of proficiency. Um, but that's absolutely not the case. And it's something that we're going to get into in a little later uh, in the podcast. So we have to make sure that on the basic side of the house that we're not taking anything for granted. And it's easy to do, uh, especially in the precision rifle world. Sometimes in our open enrollment courses, you know, we kind of take it for granted that you know, it's implied knowledge nowadays that the student's going to show up to class understanding what a mill radian is versus an angular unit of measure. And that's not always the case in the, in the law enforcement sniper world because um, not everybody is a gun guy, number one, in the law enforcement world. And believe it or not, not everybody who is a SWAT cop is a, a gun person. That's rare, but it, it is there. I have had many snipers that are just like, you know, I don't do this in my off time. Like, this is what I do as a as my my role on my current SWAT team. But, like, I don't have a bolt gun of my own, and I don't go do all this stuff. Like, this is just a job for me. Um, and that's kind of bizarre. It is, it is what it is, but that's kind of that perspective thing that you guys heard in the introduction of the podcast, and we're going to touch on that too. So we developed this curriculum. We said, okay, we don't want it to be just a shooting course. We want it to be um, a, a well-rounded mix of all of the sniper skills because at the end of the day, when this individual leaves here, legitimately with the next 12 hours, they could be responding to uh, you know, some sort of situation that requires their skills. And that's a very serious thing. And I know that for these guys, it, it can probably become mundane very quickly um, you know, with the mindset of, you know, okay, whatever, it's just another barricaded suspect. We're going to be here for, you know, however many long hours, I'm still going to do my job, blah, blah, blah. But I think that it would be very, very easy for, uh, especially a busy department to become complacent in some of those, in some of those areas of employment and mission planning. So we wanted to make sure that we touch on that and, uh, incorporate those into the mix. And when we did that, I, I did it for both the basic side of the house and the advanced side of the house, uh, breaking it down into those groups. Okay, employment, uh, 
basic sniper skills, mission planning, marksmanship, et cetera, et cetera. And I noticed that, you know, a lot of the same things, it, a lot of the things that I wanted to cover were the exact same things, but we're looking at them. Okay. So what does this individual need to know on the basic level? And then what does this individual over here on the quote unquote advanced side of the house need to know? And really what it came down to was the advanced curriculum uh, was essentially more of a mentorship curriculum because we all know that being in those roles, if you're a listener and you've been in this role, as soon as you uh, obtain a specific title, whether you're in a military organization or you're in a law enforcement organization, you now become the subject matter expert. You now become, um, it's an assumed role that you will now take this information and pass it down to your subordinates. And you then, um, you know, unknowingly or, uh, you know, as a product of, I guess, osmosis, if you will, you become um, responsible for that. And not everybody is cut out to do that. Not everybody is cut out to be a teacher and be an effective communicator. Uh, you may be able to do that job very well, but you might not be really good at teaching people how to do that. And that's completely okay. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. And I think that's one of the things that we also have to address in this episode is, is kind of like, you know, understanding that um, if you're not a good communicator, then you probably shouldn't be trying to teach people how to do this job because it's only going to make things worse in the long run. But more on that later. So we looked at the advanced curriculum and said, man, this is pretty much like a, like a train the trainer type environment. Like if I, as an individual, uh, looked at it and said, okay, I sat down and was like, all right, man, if you were in this position and you're going to a quote unquote advanced course, what would you want to get out of an advanced course? If you'd already been a seasoned, um, a seasoned officer for, you know, a handful of years. And I was like, I would want to make sure that everything that I knew was, uh, everything that I knew was up to speed and up to date. I would want the most up to date information, meaning like, Hey, what's going on in the world of, uh, you know, long range shooting, what's going on in the world of, uh, capabilities with precision weapon systems. What kind of gear should I be looking for? Is there anything that like, um, accessories that'll make my life easier, uh, on the, on the, in my OP, uh, in regarding to like connecting my rifle to a tripod or, anything like that. So that's number one. And number two, um, I would want to hear from subject matter experts, their experience of, okay, what is it really like to execute these, these missions? What is it really like when, um, you know, you need to utilize these marksmanship skills instantaneously when just a couple of seconds ago, you were just kind of chilling behind the glass. Um, and how, all the different shooting techniques that were being used to make sure that I was able to build the most stable position possible in that environment to uh, do my job of employing a precision weapon system if I need it. And really that boils down to, it's like kind of a train the trainer thing and saying, okay, like I'm going to eventually be able to, or be required to pass this information on. So we uh, broke this all down and then we said, all right, cool. We got our two, we got our two sides of basic and advanced. And then we said, all right, well, what classes can be taught jointly? Well, there's a lot of classes that we decided that could be taught jointly. And uh, it, it ended up being, um, you know, we always ask at the very beginning of class, I, I like to anyways, 
I want the guys to tell me what they think their job is as a as a professional law enforcement sniper. Because in the military world, we have specific definitions of both the mission and what defines us as um, as snipers in, in our role. So that way we're constantly aware of, you know, what the what the end state goal is for our particular job, um, the description of our job and the description of our mission. And it's kind of like that that thought process, a decentralized command in our in our current military leadership where it's just like, hey, everybody understands what the commander's intent is. And, and if you know what your job is and you know what the commander's intent is, you can operate fairly autonomously as long as you're shooting, moving and communicating. So there's that. We looked at um, we looked at saying, OK, I want you guys to tell us what you think that job is. And then it's kind of like an open discussion of uh, different ideas, because a lot of guys have completely different thought processes on what their job is. Maybe not completely different, but there are some differences in what people think their role is and then what the mission is. So because those are two different things, but uh, we like doing that. That's a joint class. Um we decided to bring in tracking. Owen is a, is a seasoned tracker. He ran uh, the Combat Hunter program for the United States Marine Corps uh, before that was uh, recently shut down. And so we wanted to bring tracking into play because a lot of these officers are in rural environments because uh, it is in the Pacific Northwest, in the mountain states. So there's that. Um, techniques of observation, uh, psychology of observation. Those were joint classes. Um, Urban hides, rural FFPs, uh, vehicle hides, those are all joint classes um, because we don't know if everybody, you know, we want to make sure that both basic guys and advanced guys have access to that knowledge because, you know, again, what's to delineate the difference between a basic and an advanced dude once they leave a specific course? So, and then we looked at the marksmanship side. Um, we said, okay, Everybody needs to be brushed up on tripod employment. Uh, everybody probably needs a refresher on the fundamentals of marksmanship, um, even on the advanced side, because we don't know where those guys have come from in terms of what is delineating, um, what's the prerequisite for you to coming to the advanced sniper course. And really all I said in that was, hey, you just have to have a basic under your belt, and then you can come to the advanced. So... Um, Positional shooting, uh, basic external ballistics, command fire, all of those things, both both of those um, ends of the spectrum in the discipline, basic to advanced, need to have those joint classes. And it just became more and more obvious that this was going to be um, this was going to be a joint class in a lot of regard. And then where necessary, we would split off the basic guys and the advanced guys to have kind of sidebar conversations that were specific to um, whatever end of the spectrum that they were on with regard to skills. But this is really just a, it's a sniper skills course. And with a, a talented group of teachers who understand how to diagnose issues, who have done the job before, it's easy for them to tailor individual instruction to a specific student with regard to their current skill set. 
And we can see that on the marksmanship side of the house pretty much immediately by analyzing targets. We know who the basic shooters are versus, okay, these guys are more experienced over here. So we're going to challenge them to do things um, a little faster, uh, smaller target size, um, and potentially with less equipment to try to get them um, to operate at a higher level. cognitive level when it comes to solving problems with a precision rifle. And then obviously on the basic end of the spectrum, it's just like, okay, well, how do we get these guys to uh, be consistent behind their rifle? We're going to go through those drills. Um, And on the marksmanship side of the house, it's pretty crazy because we've taken, we've taken a considerable amount of data from, uh, from our courses in terms of our evaluation and our scores on both the civilian side of the house and on the professional side of the house. And it's insane to see the difference from day one to day four, even in an intro to, intro to long range course. And so I often ask myself, and I sit and ask Philip the same question, like if we had complete and total um, control over the marksmanship portion, or for that matter, a sniper school in general, meaning I wasn't bound to uh, you know, the, you know, Marine Corps Systems Commands um, and Training Commands uh, understanding of, of how a curriculum should be administered because largely I don't think that they know their ass from the hole in the ground when it comes to that and say, hey, you know what, like give me a cadre of, of 10 really motivated people. And what I mean motivated, I mean people that have a vested interest in creating a product meaning and that product being a sniper and a sniper is it is it is a weapon that person is a weapon and in order for you to create the most well-rounded and effective weapon um, it takes a it takes a whole group of super dedicated people that care about the process and not necessarily the result Um, the process is where the beauty lies and if we focus on that process of creating this ultimate, um, this ultimate product, you know, it'll shake out in the end. And I've often wondered, like, hey, what can I, what kind of shooter could I create right now with the knowledge that I have of, you know, diagnosing probably into the thousands of shooters now um, and witnessing progression? What could I do with what could I do with a guy that I had every day, five days a week for you know uh, ten weeks, with that same amount of ammunition, uh, and and it's like, it's staggering when you think about it, the product that we could put out. So, when you wouldn't be constrained by uh, a current thought process or a current mindset or a current set of, um, you know, standards that need to be maintained. So. You know, that is that is there and that's maybe an episode that we can do in the future with Philip. But um, that was really like at the beginning, that's what I wanted to cover right off the bat of this podcast, like the concept of MSTOA and how we wanted to do it. And the 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 difference between basic and advanced and the the fact of the matter is that when we came out of that and on my drive home, I had a complete paradigm shift in the sense that. Um, there is no difference between a basic and an advanced skill when it comes to um, being a sniper. Um, I, th- I would say basic on the sense that like, okay, if, I, if the guy needs to understand marksmanship, but if he's occupying, if he's occupying that role, 
and he's passed the prerequisites, he should already have a basic understanding of the fundamental principles of marksmanship and how to run. Basically, all, you're te all you should be teaching that individual is, hey, this is how you operate this, meaning it's a bolt-action weapon system, and there's a specific set of um, you know, neural pathways that we have to establish in order for you to run that thing with competency. And then, obviously, we have, um, we have a rifle scope that we need to teach you how to use and then we also have to teach you how to retrieve data or obtain data and retrieve it from the computer program. But outside of that, if you are occupying that position, you should have already displayed uh, a high level of competency um, in advanced understanding of tactics, right? And, and in this particular case is a law enforcement aspect. It's, you know, special weapons and tactics. Most departments require guys that occupy the sniper role to have at least a couple of years experience on the SWAT team as uh, a member of the entry team. So that way they have a foundational understanding of like, how does this all operate? And me as a sniper, how can I integrate and support that? And I think that's very important. And there's arguments in the, on the military side of the house between the difference of a guy that comes straight out of infantry school and goes to um, a sniper unit um, versus a guy who comes straight out of infantry school and supports the infantry as an infantryman for a couple of training cycles to see how really how does the infantry work and how can I best support that operation as a sniper because that's what you're doing as a sniper you're operating in a supporting role whether that be for you know collecting and reporting of information or reducing selected targets using precision rifle fire um, so we have to kind of like make sure that we understand that whole, that initial concept. And so once we do, we just say, oh, okay, um, this, we have these core competencies and now we just kind of have to cater um, what is what. And the guy that's operating in that role should already have a very firm understanding of what it means to be a law enforcement officer you know, identification of the use of force and the escalation of force, which we don't teach at all, by the way, in our law enforcement classes. We don't even touch it. I'm not there to tell you how to be a cop. I'm not there to tell you um, how to do your job in that regard. You, as a, as a human being, being authorized to utilize deadly force, you should be very well aware personally uh, and emotionally with what circumstances are going to you know, where is your threshold, personal threshold, uh, going to cross that boundary? And that's something that every single one of those guys that have that responsibility uh, and ladies have that responsibility. It's something that you should be thinking about, you know, uh, because if you're not thinking about it every single day, when you walk out there with, you know, a uniform on, you know, I don't know, I don't care if you're like some rural sheriff's deputy, crazy shit can happen. It's the year 20 fucking 22 and all kinds of crazy shit can happen. If you don't have the proper mindset of, you know, understanding that I am going to, I'm going out and actively engaging with people at their worst every single, you know, most of the time when you're interacting with people, you're finding them at a very low point in their life and they're probably not going to be at the, at the, you know, in the greatest, um, mental headspace. And so like that, that shit is dangerous and, uh, you got to be prepared for that. At least I would be. 
And it's very easy, I'm sure, to become complacent. I don't live that life every single day like the, the I know a lot of you guys that are listeners are active law enforcement officers. And I would, I would encourage you guys to talk about it, meaning like comment in the Modern Day Rifleman Network and, you know, spread your thoughts about it or share your thoughts about it because it's an important thing to, to talk about. You deal with it every single friggin' day that you have this job. So um, that individual that's already occupying that role should have a firm grasp of all those things before they step into a higher level responsibility, which we would, which we would consider to be the role of a sniper. Um, you do have a lot of responsibility. You have an additional responsibility. Um, there's all different kinds of pieces of information that you are reporting on um, or reporting that is directly influencing your your team's ability to conduct that operation safely and uh, to resolve it without any further escalation. So things like, you know, window openings, direction of door openings. Hey, what's the dimension of this particular opening so I can build an appropriate charge? Where's the suspect and where's the, you know, do in a hostage environment, where's the suspect in relationship to the hostage? All these pieces of information, that's your responsibility as a sniper to communicate that. Um, and so you got a lot going on. And so you, you already have to have the basics of being a SWAT officer operating in the peripheral on autopilot, getting you to, to this point, to be able to do this job as a sniper. And so I think with regard to course curriculum structure with some of the other curriculum that we have witnessed and heard about, I think that's what lie, that's where the difference is between our you know, what we teach at Modern Day Sniper, and I know for a fact um, the boys over at Ridgeline Defense, uh, Rudy and Alex, the, their their law enforcement sniper course is badass. And if you're an East Coast guy and you're looking for uh, a legit sniper package, go see uh, Rudy and Alex at Ridgeline Defense because they share a lot. Not, and I'm not saying this because they share the same thought process that we do. I'm saying that because they're also uh, 100% vested in their product. They have the same thought process that the students experience is the, is, uh, the ultimate goal. Meaning if you have a good experience, you're going to learn more. And so those guys have that at the forefront of their minds as well. And that's why they put on a great course. Uh, and they're both extremely proficient snipers and they know what they're talking about. So um, when it comes to structuring this, um, there really is not a delineation between a basic and an advanced guy. And if we structure a curriculum so Barney style for a quote unquote basic guy, um, you're wasting his time. You're absolutely wasting his time because then the next step is saying, okay, like what skills do these guys need to learn how to do? Okay, well, if we take it, if we break it all down, what they really need to do is they need to be able to understand their mission. They need to understand their job. Okay. They need to understand how they can accomplish that mission, which would be um, some, some points on employment. How would you employ yourself as a sniper? Then we need to figure out how we plan whatever uh, job it is that we have, right? So there's mission planning. So we have understanding what your job is. We have uh, how to employ you. We have how to uh, plan this mission that we're about to undertake. Then we have to figure out, okay, what are some tenable positions that we could accomplish a job from? Well, okay, that means we have to focus on 
uh, a certain amount of camouflage. Um, we're not trying to make, you know, we're not trying to do uh, Tom Berenger here stalking through, you know, a field and covering himself in horse shit type thing. Like that's, that's so far beyond what these particular students will ever have to do. Um, so there needs to be a, a kind of a watering down and say, all right, so this is close target reconnaissance. Most likely you're going to be in a permissive environment. Um, permissive meaning you, you, uh, you can probably move about somewhat freely without, without getting shot at. And obviously that's going to, that can shift depending on what, what it is that you're dealing with. Um, but we're not dealing with like a military scenario where like, if you're, if you're compromised, you're going to have, um, uh, an overwhelming force chasing you down, uh, trying to, trying to kill all of you. And there's, there's a big difference. Okay. So, um, you have to be able to select and occupy a position and say, okay, I can do my job from here. Then we have to understand what it is that, how, what are we observing? How are we going to learn how to observe things and how are then are we going to report that information? All right. So once that's done, now it's time to talk about shooting. Okay, we're in this position. Part of my mission is to be able to reduce selected targets um, to stop a perceived threat, and so therefore we have to we have to learn how to shoot. Um, and there's the marksmanship aspect of things. So it, you don't you you can cut out a lot of fluff from these from a course by just identifying the core concepts or the core skills that need to be addressed. And then you go, okay, so a basic guy, like. This is not this is not rock and science, okay? When it comes to a lot of these things, um, and so if we touch on uh, the majority of these subjects and gets the mind primed and it gets the mind thinking through, it doesn't have to be like I'm not trying to train a guy to bust a hundred points on a on a rural stock lane in five days. Like that's that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. I mean, it might happen with a, an anomaly student who's just who just you know, gets it. But for the average guy, it's like, no, nah, man, that's not going to happen. It's just not happening. So we have to kind of like be, we have to understand what our goal is. Right. So, um, once we decided all that stuff, it was like, all right, cool. So now we're going to execute the course. And, um, we executed the course by doing, um, our introductions. We talk about what's going on and get to know everybody. We had 21 people. So that was, it was a big class. It was a big group of guys. And um, all skill levels. We had some guys that had never shot a bolt gun before, ever. Um, meaning like, hey, man, I'm, like I just got assigned this position and I've never done this before. Two guys that have been behind um, a bolt action rifle on their SWAT team for you know upwards of 10 years. As well as private, prior military sniper backgrounds. So wide, wide breadth of experience. Uh, some some previous students of ours from not only past uh, uh iterations of MSTOA, um, you know, annual meetings, but to law enforcement sniper and, and advanced courses that I'd run in the past. So that was pretty cool to have some, you know, some, some people that, that hadn't trained with us in a while because we have, we're always bringing on new stuff because that's what we do. We're here to, to, to continuously shift the paradigm of how people think of shooting a precision rifle. So we did our intake skill level and um, on the basic side of the house, that was just basically really just, hey, what are we doing with prone groups from the 100? We got students 
to, um, we got everybody through a rifle setup class and even on the advanced side of the house, rifle setup was a big deal. Most of those guys had, even on the advanced side, had no concept of what it meant to get squared up behind your rifle, um, the effects, how effective you can manage recoil from being squared up behind your rifle. And uh, we'll talk about the equipment that I saw um, in the next segment here. But um, looking at the intake skill level, once guys actually started to kind of make their adjustments and got the rifles fit to them, we started off with making sure everybody could get a good zero. Um, we were shooting out at Fort Harrison, um, which is uh, the the Army National Guard base on the west end of Helena, Montana, and they got a pretty good they got a pretty good situation there. Um, I mean, it's a military base, so you got to deal with the range control stuff, you know, radio checks and all that trash. But it's like it's it just kind of sucks. You can't when you can't do anything you want whenever you want when you're on a range by yourself. So um, there's that aspect of things. But when we saw everybody's skill levels, it was a, we were able as teachers were able to then identify and hone in on the people that need the most the most attention um, to get those group sizes to shrink. And so we hone in on those guys. We make those adjustments to the equipment when necessary or, or when needed rather. And then we're just like, okay, cool. Let's, let's identify um, the guys who need the most amount of attention from the marksmanship side of the house. And then let's look at the guys who are shooting really, really tight and then try to pick their position apart and make them uh, think about things that they might not have thought about before and then help them get just some more consistency um, out of their out of their shooting. So um, the once the intake skill level came or came and went, we just went into um, reinforcement of marksmanship fundamentals and we stayed really heavy focused on marksmanship for the first two days. Uh, on the basic side, a lot of that stuff is prone work, making sure that they're consistent, that they understand um, how to interface with the rifle on a consistent way to minimize any point of impact shift. Um, and and then for first getting them to see that that's a thing and people say, oh, my zero's wandering around or my zero's off. And it's like, well, your zero's wandering around or it might be uh, sporadic because you still haven't solidified uh, uh in your brain, how to connect the rifle in the most consistent manner, uh, regardless of the position. And we're just focusing on the prone. And then on the advanced side of the house, we're doing the exact same thing, but we're focused all on positions. It's all positional heavy shooting. Um, there is, uh, it's all tripods. And because the thing with the tripods is unfortunately, and it is just absolutely insane to me that there are still sniper schools out there on the basic level that are not teaching students how to shoot from tripods. In the year 2022, if you are a law enforcement sniper course and you are not incorporating tripods into your curriculum, you are wrong and you are doing your students a disservice. So there's a little bit of, um, a little bit of the underlying tone there. Um, there's some, there's some certain things here that, 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 that get me, um, that get me a little worked up. And that's one of them because that is a, that is a sign that the individual who is responsible for developing that curriculum is refusing to witness, uh, what is possible with a rifle in the year 2022. As such, you are dramatically limiting your student's ability 
to be effective on a target site dramatically, um, almost to the point of, of negligence. And uh, we'll get to that. again. I want to talk about this in a little bit greater detail. But so we focus a lot on the tripods because it's the only support that you can guaranteed will build you a solid position to deliver a surgical shot from under any condition. Doesn't matter whether you're in the prone position, uh, doesn't matter whether you're shooting from a pile of rubble someplace or whether you're shooting from, um, you know, an urban position uh, across the street from uh, a residential room that you've made uh, a final firing position from. So, and you, you're going to be able to build all of those positions within 60 seconds time if you're experienced and you're going to be that much more of a force multiplier on the target site because you're going to be up and running faster and you won't be, you know, jerking around with a rifle sling and trying to perfectly position a rucksack or, um, you know, pieces of furniture in a room to build a, a suitable shooting support. All that stuff goes completely and utterly out the window uh, with the advent of tripods. And so, um, this was, uh, and it's, this is not a new thing guys. Like I remember in 2013 at the Oregon sniper challenge, I gave a tripod shooting class and there was probably a hundred officers there. And the vast majority of them in 2013 were not shooting off of tripods yet. And there, we still have officers that are like, Hey man, I don't have a tripod yet. I'm going to need to borrow one. I heard that the course has a lot of tripod work in it. So that's a paradigm that needs to continuously be poked at and, um, you know, loudly uh, voiced to be shifted until it's adopted uh, completely and, entire, and entirely across the spectrum of all trainers because it's too viable of an asset to not uh, accept it as being um, mainstream uh, modern marksmanship techniques. So there's that. Um you know, when it comes to when it comes to building curricula like this, man, time is always the big constraint. When it comes to time, it's like, all right, we we've got four days, and essentially, I've got to be able to look at this guy that shows up to me on the basic level and says, "Hey, man, I'm going to occupy this role, um, and I need to make sure that I have this course under my belt with a passing, with, you know, with a passing ominous dominus, if you will, uh, certificate." that says I'm, I'm good to go to operate this bolt with this rifle. And I'm going to hand that to my department and my department's going to be like, all right, cool. That sounds good. Um, go ahead and integrate yourself into the rest of the snipers and you know, you're going to start doing your thing. So that's a pretty big responsibility from a trainer's perspective. And so I have to like have confidence that this guy, when he leaves a basic level course, that he's going to be able to execute his skills as a sniper you know, like next week, if need be, um, in, in a situation that could potentially be very complex and stressful. So not, not saying that all of them aren't either. You know what I mean? Like you guys are, are probably hopefully picking up what I'm putting down here. So the time restriction is huge. And so, um, that's a challenge to put all that stuff and give everybody a flavor, give everybody a taste of every flavor and then be able to say, okay, you guys understand how to do this? Like with urban, or I'm sorry, rural camouflage. In order for you to do a legitimate exercise in rural greenside camouflage, I need at least a half a day, at least a half a day dedicated to understanding, all right, this is 
this is how you prop this is how you you know this is personal camouflage this is how you wear this thing that's called a ghillie suit and oh by the way your ghillie suit that you bought from bass pro shops is a solid super huge piece of shit and it doesn't matter what you do to it you're going to get busted wearing it by anybody who knows anything about detecting anything so like you have to deal with all that stuff and then saying, okay, now that we've got that all squared away, this is how you're going to stick natural vegetation in that and, and make yourself look more like your environment by using natural camouflage. And then getting them to understand the intricacies of movement um, because all that stuff is attention to detail and discipline building. That's really all greenside stalking is if you look at it from a, uh, from a skills perspective. All the principles and techniques apply across the spectrum from urban to rural environments. It, it, we heard that argument from higher up all the time saying, well, we're, we're in an urban war right now and, and we shouldn't be worrying about uh, green side stalking and, and cami paint because that's not where we're fighting. And what those, um, what those individuals are missing, besides the fact that they're just pawns and they're just, you know, you know, being attacked by manpower at, uh, issues and things like that, people that really have no friggin' clue uh, what is really happening and, and what's really necessary to train these people, um, those skills are creating overall, uh, overall aspects of discipline that are going to apply regardless if you're in a in a greenside environment or an urban environment all the levels of attention to detail overhead movement matching your you know your camouflage to your background oh shit i just got busted what how could i have possibly gotten busted oh wait a minute that was a pretty big mistake and that could actually apply in any environment because i lost awareness of where the observation post was guess what you do that in the real deal you're going to get shot it's that simple and so it doesn't matter whether it's an urban or a rural environment so all those skills you know they they play a role and so like if i was to truly get a guy um to a level that i'm that i'm confident that he can do a close target reconnaissance uh, on an objective because most often than not they're going to be you know well inside 100 yards um so like close target reconnaissance on an objective being inside 100 yards you got to have a fairly permissive environment to make that uh, even tenable so and there's certain things that's like hey man at this point in time i'm not worried about building the perfectly camouflaged position that uh, an instructor with 10 power binos can't see no, I'm actually worried about making sure that I'm relatively concealed uh, and have some semblance of cover if available. So that way I can employ this precision weapon system and my skills of observation to be an asset on this target site. Like that's it, period, end of story. It doesn't have to be any more complex than that. But even then, I need to take like a full, like a probably a half a day. But then again, you start looking at it and you're like, okay, what's the threshold of... Um, too little then becomes a waste of time because the student isn't retaining anything versus too much on a skill that, you know, might not necessarily be used and could better, that time could better be served by focusing on a different task. So it's not an easy thing, man. And, and four days is like, it goes by in a flash. It's like done and over with. You're like, oh man, tomorrow is the end of the, the end of the class. Wow. So um, there's just a lot of stuff to cover. And it's always the conundrum with uh, with those courses, which um, which is why, believe it or not, I mean, not believe it or not, but like that's why we stepped into the digital world. In the digital world, um, I'm not necessarily constrained by time. 
And so that's also going to drive us to do some different things with curriculum development in the future for the law enforcement world. So stay tuned for that. Um, you know, this last past week was just a, a, a motivating week when it came to looking at and saying, how can we do this differently? How can we shift the paradigm and create a better product and break the norm, um, defy the norm? Uh, Cody Alford, um, his brand is Defy the Norm, which is which is badass. Um, Cody Alford does some really awesome things for for veterans and mindset and perspective. Um, so, defying the norm by saying, no, 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 your normal is not producing the best product. Your normal is not producing the best product, period, end of story. And if that's the case, then your paradigm needs to change. You need to shift. You need to open yourself up to a new perspective. Um, and that's really where uh, that opening statement of the podcast for this episode, like perspective, shifting your perspective is scary um, because you also have to be open to the fact that what if, what if my perspective is wrong, is in fact not correct or it needs to be updated like that's a major internal battle with uh with the majority of of humans so that's something that we'll that we're going to touch on in, in some future episodes when it comes to the podcast as well as in our headspace hub but you know perspective is important and you've got a lot of responsibility when it comes to uh, creating these curriculums so you know it's um it's something that we always have to have at the forefront of our mind so when it comes to um, when it comes to gear, like here's some trends with gear that we saw in the courses, gear and uh, gear and weapons. We're going to talk about that at the same in the same uh, kind of areas here. So weapons, uh, we'll hit on that first because uh, everybody wants to know about what's going on with the rifle scene. Um, no AIs. First and foremost, we didn't have any AIs. Usually we have at least a few AIs in law enforcement courses, uh, the AEs. But um, the majority of our rifles in this course were, uh, were Franken-builds. Um, the first time that I had seen, I had a couple of Ruger precision rifles in there as, as per. That's a, that's a budget-minded rifle that um, budget-minded departments kind of feel like they're getting a, kind of feel like they're getting a bang for their buck in that regard. Um, but we saw three, uh, Daniel defense rifles that came into the class. Uh, that was the first time I'd seen a Daniel defense gun in a law enforcement capacity, uh, in a sniper weapon system. Uh, those guns seemed to perform well. Uh, they, that, that department was a Montana department and they had them outfitted with the Daniel defense chassis. Um, and they were all shooting muzzle brakes, which is something really important that I want to talk about um, in this section. But those guys were all shooting uh, Area 419 Sidewinder muzzle brakes. So, or I'm sorry, the Hellfires. Whatever the smaller one, whatever the three-port is, I can't remember whether it's the Sidewinder or the Hellfire, but um, they were shooting those. Uh, some departments are still shooting Remington 700s uh, police sniper specials with um, that, uh, what was that barrel that Remington came out with? It was the... It had the long, like rectangular flutes down it. Um, there was one dude that was rocking a, one of the triangle barrels from Remington that was like super rad and, you know, 1997 or something like that. Um, and, you know, the rifle situation is always going to be non standard. 
um, in the law enforcement world. We had some customs. We had some uh, the guys from King County Sheriff's over here on the west side of Washington. Uh, they had uh, some custom builds going with uh, with some defiance actions. They dumped those barreled actions into an MDT chassis, and they're still running the old uh, the older generation Night Force NXSs. Um, we had some uh, some Mark Six, some loophole Mark Six hunting scopes on guns um, that uh, one of the Department of Corrections guys brought. There were two guys from Department of Corrections. They both brought pretty much identical rifles, and they were the it's, uh, the the old school police sniper specials with the Mark Sixes on there, and they were shooting suppressed, uh, no name suppressors. I couldn't remember what the names of the companies were. Um, we had some, uh, we had some Delta and Tango 51s in the class, uh, shout out to Mr. Resignio over there at, uh, Beverly Hills always puts together really, really tack driving rifles. Um, but, uh, the rifles, again, they were pretty much Frankenstein, uh, for the most part. Uh, some guys were, you know, taken, um, I, we saw a couple of Remington 700s, uh, dumped into Magpul Hunter 700 chassis or stocks to get some more adjustability out of them. Uh, I believe we had a couple of Bravos out there. And um, the main thing that we saw with rifles was just the old school mentality that this thing is like this this mystical beast that it'll only behave if we rub it nicely and, um, you know, approach it with this, you know, mystical aspect. And that's like we're trying to defeat that. We're trying to say, guys, it's a, it's a tool. It's an inanimate object. And we have to approach it as such. And it's only going to do what, what it's told to do by you um, once we establish its baseline level of accuracy. So um, guy, the other thing that we the other thing that we kind of nuked some minds with is the whole cold bore theory thing. A lot of these guys are still in like there's other schools out there. And again, here's another one of those. Um, this is one of my this is one of my shadow aspect moments here. Um, and it like really irritates me to no end. There's still courses out there where students on the basic level are being required to clean their guns multiple times throughout the training days. So that way they can track a cold shot. I don't know how else to make this completely clear, but that is the worst and utmost waste of anyone's time in the world of shooting that I could ever imagine. It's literally a waste of your time. There is no point in doing that. We've proven time and time and time and time again that cold bores with modern precision rifles and even rifles that are 10, 15 years old, it is not a thing. It is not a thing. It's a mental, it's either it's either a, a bullet coming from a fouled bore, or I'm sorry, a, a clean bore that has not been fouled efficiently or sufficiently yet. And or it is also a, a mental manifestation because it's been beaten into your head that it will happen. It will happen. You will have a cold bore shot. So you, you need to clean your gun, you know, three times a day to make sure that you're tracking cold shots. That is ridiculous. It's stupid. Um, nobody cares about cold shots in the precision rifle world. And guess what? We're shooting cartridges that are far more uh, finicky and susceptible to barrel, um, I guess, seasoning or cleaning conditions than a 308 Winchester ever will be, even at 10,000 rounds, never being cleaned. So you're wasting your time. I'm not worried. Like there are matches, like you draw the draw it out of the hat. Oh shit! Okay, my opening stage today 
is a long range stage and my first shot is going to hit, you know, my first shot, my first target's 960 yards. I don't give a shit about a cold bore. There is no, like, I am not dialing or worrying about a cold bore at all because it's not a thing. So uh, stop wasting your time doing that. When it comes to um, the weapons, understand what, what your rifle's capabilities are. And I would say, you know, the first round out of the barrel, if this is something, if this is new to you or you're new to this rifle, first things first, you're going to shoot a clean target, fire that first round after you've taken a couple of dry fire shots and got yourself situated, fire that first shot at a target, then go to a completely clean target and shoot another zero confirmation group. You do that two or three times, you're going to start to see, okay, yeah, my rifle doesn't really have a cold shot right? It doesn't really have a cold shot. And as you start to get more consistent as a shooter, you're going to notice as well that your cold shot is more of a cold shooter than anything else, than a cold bore. Uh, Physically, uh, the laws of physics do not just magically apply to material science um, with regard to heat transfer if we didn't change the condition of the bore in between those two shots. Like it it doesn't hold water at all. So just keep that in mind. And if you're like at a course and somebody's telling you to clean your gun three or four times a day, like be immediately suspect immediately, because that's just not good practice. We don't do those things anymore in tw- in the year 2022. We might've like, I remember having to do it when I went to urban sniper, but that was like, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> and so we've long since abandoned that because we know it's ridiculous and it's a waste of time. So on the weapons side of the house, um, we're still seeing a lot of uh, Harris bipods out there, which is awesome. It's a great bipod for good capabilities for what guys are doing, especially with budgets in mind. Um, and we're still seeing stocks out there that are not adjustable. And that's something that I want you guys to consider if you're in this role. Look at an adjustable chassis and try to get your department to see the benefit of it. And if you need help in in figuring out how to articulate your needs, reach out to us. Hit us up, info at modern, you know what, don't even do about the info. Just hit me up, kalen at moderndaysniper.com. Say, hey man, I need some help. I'm trying to get some new gear um, and, I, and I could use some advice in, in how to word it. Um, and we're going to, we're going to start doing more of this in the modern day sniper section of the network. So, um, if you are an active duty, uh, military or law enforcement sniper, uh, we do have our own section at modern day sniper called modern day sniper monthly, and it's only for you guys. And so we're going to have these discussions in there and give you guys, uh, some more tools to help you be more uh, more efficient at communicating with your command structure to get you the things that you need. So, uh, scopes, rifle scopes. Uh, the one thing that we didn't have uh, at all in this class were a bunch of gear issues. We didn't have any problems with gear, which was awesome. Very refreshing. That usually ends up taking the winds uh, the wind out of the sail of the course pretty fast. But everybody's gun was running pretty efficiently. Um, when it comes to the scopes, still kind of seeing a mix of minutes and mills. Um, it's again, like we're not even going to, we're not even going to touch that dead ass horse with regard to minutes and mills. That's don't even open that can of worms. Um, whatever you have, we're going to teach you how to work it. It's that simple. So don't even worry about it. It's just a, it's just a number. So, um, we saw that there's still quite a few vortex scopes out there. Um, low end vortex scopes like Viper PSTs, um, 
even a couple of Diamondbacks, things like that. I would just I would just caution against that stuff, guys. I mean, you know that that gun is as long as you've shot it and experienced it and said, hey man, this thing's doing exactly what it says it's gonna do and what I tell it to do. I'm cool with it, but you just better know. You better know for yourself because at the end of the day, it's it's on you. Uh, you own that bullet from the time you you put it in the chamber until it comes out of that rifle, whether it's been fired or not. So just keep that in mind. Thoroughly test your equipment. Um, ammunition, we saw a lot of Hornady tap. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of that stuff floating around out there. Um, still seeing some Sierra Match Kings. I know um, the American Sniper Association is you know losing their minds over this stuff with regard to the overpenetration aspect of things. And I, I definitely see that point of it. I'd absolutely see that point of it. Um, if we can help it, we should not be shooting um, non non bonded bullets uh, in this in this environment because uh, performing terminally, non bonded bullets are even at close ranges can be a crapshoot. Um, so that's a subject for another for another uh, another podcast in in its entirety. But at the at the same time, we also have to address this overpenetration thing that a lot of people that a lot of people have some misconstrued understandings about. So when it comes to ammo, um, the the law enforcement sniper is kind of in a conundrum because we need a bullet, ideally that does all things, and we have to be able to have a, we have we have to have a bullet that is an open air option meaning that the bullet is not going to defeat an intermediate barrier on its way to the target and then still perform effectively in a terminal capacity on the target itself um so but then at the other side we 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 don't want it to be a solid if at all possible because we want to try to minimize the, the or reduce the effects of over penetration and I'm going to argue that that's not always going to be easily doable. So on the other hand, we also need to have a round that is capable of defeating an intermediate barrier, such as a glass, uh, like a window pane, a windshield, or perhaps even a car door. So we have to have a bullet that stays solid and stays nose first and stable after it defeats that barrier so that way it can continue on and perform terminally on the intended target number one with minimal point of impact shift and uh, enough terminal effect we start doing that with jacketed bullets that are non-bonded we're going to have problems because the friction of of the bullet um, impacting the the barrier can be enough to initiate stripping the jacket off the projectile and therefore you know all bets are off at that point with regard to predicting where the bullet's going to be in time and space, not happening. Um, and then, but the problem with that is, is also if we have a bullet that's good open air and minimizes, uh, over penetration, meaning it, it partially comes apart in the, in the terminal effects, um, shedding the majority of its mass in a short amount of time, that's not going to perform well at all going through a barrier. Like we're not going to be able to hit that mission statement um, or that requirement. So we uh, we're kind of in a conundrum here, which generally means that we got to select two different types of ammo. And then we have to be able to maintain two different zeros um, and know the performance of both of those projectiles. So in a perfect world, not awesome. But if you um, if you train your people, 
appropriately, yeah, it's totally doable. Um, but it, but it's definitely a training issue. You have to make sure your people are trained on it. So, um, the, uh, the ammo situation, we had some guys shooting, you know, the Sierra match King traditional 168s, 175s, a lot of guys shooting tap, a couple of guys from the, the guys that were shooting Daniel defense rifles, uh, they were issued RUAG Swiss P ammunition and RUAG has, um, you know, their, their marketing basically states that, um, there's four variants of their law enforcement loads. It's, uh, uh let's see, it's the target slash practice. It's the tactical, it's the sticks. Um, and I think I'm forgetting another one. Uh, I'd have to look it up, but yeah, uh, you guys get my drift. And they basically RUAG states that all three or all four of those variants of ammunition, will shoot quote unquote ballistically the same. And so I don't like it when people use that blanket term because they're not ballistically the same. What it means is that they, they, they're claiming that there's no point of impact shift between those four different, um, offerings in the same cartridge, uh, which minimizes the, the need to have different, um, you know, different data for each projectile that you're shooting, which is a good thing. And, and, and some rifles that might hold true and other rifles, it might not hold true. It all depends on the type of rifle and how, how it was put together, whether or not it's a custom or a factory and whether or not you got a, you know, a four o'clock on Friday afternoon factory gun type thing, that is a real thing, right? So when it comes to getting factory rifles, so, um, you know, the, the, the weapons and stuff, the, the individual gear, the weapons is, they are what they are. You know, you guys can't control that. And then, um, on the, uh, on the individual gear side of the house, that's also something that, that I'd like to continue to address. And it's awesome because I, the epiphany that I had when it came to this was, Hey, if I want to say something, um, you have a podcast that gets like 30 plus thousand downloads a month. You can talk to all those people. Um, they, they want to hear what you have to say. And so, um, when we started this podcast, it really wasn't the intention. Uh, the intention was to just talk about what Philip and I wanted to talk about. And now we can kind of see that, that there is, that there's, there's, there's power behind that voice. And so when it comes to this, I'm really passionate about it. And, uh, I want to make sure that, that people are hearing the information. So when it comes to individual gear, like your loadout for your call out, how are you going to get all of this gear that you need to perform your job from your vehicle deployed to uh, a crisis site? Pretty much everybody has adopted um, some variant of an Eberly stock bag that allows you to carry the rifle in the scabbard. And, and when the guy deploys from the vehicle, it's just grab the, grab the backpack um, and pull the rifle out of the case. Some, some departments mandate the rifle be stored, um, in a, in a separate locked case. Uh, Washington state patrol had some craziness. They had, they had a requirement that, uh, <laughs> they had this crazy requirement and I, I won't, um, I won't tell you, but it was pretty bananas. I actually had to laugh at it. Um, but they kind of had a disadvantage with regard to deployment time because they had to jump through some hoops. But, um, like how long does it take you to get all of your stuff from that vehicle, get yourself, move your gear and your body to your final firing position or your observation point, And how fast can you bring all that stuff to bear? And the issue with having everything in a backpack means that unless you have an already like folded up chest rack or a belt 
that you can quickly don that has all of the things that you need to operate as a sniper, you're going to find yourself going back and forth to that bag for all kinds of stuff, right? And it's going to waste time. So one of the things that I've recommended to guys is to figure out like what you can do uh, for a minimalistic chest rack that will get you all of that mission essential gear to be on your body. So that way, when you attach yourself to that rifle, you have everything on you that allows you to do these things. Find the target, which would be observation. Get Establish a, a range to the target, which would be obviously a laser range finder. And then engage that target. And then obviously that engaging the target encapsulates all of the things um, that surround marksmanship, like position building. How are you going to build your position? That's a tripod. What are you going to use to augment that tripod shooting position? Maybe it'd be a sling or, you know, how are you retrieving your data? Um, all of those things, right? So we want to try to get all of that stuff on our bodies so that way we're being a multiplier on the objective and not having to go back and forth to a backpack that might be two or three steps away uh, from a standing shooting position. Even if you're in the standing position, you're going to have to relinquish control of the rifle to go to the to your bag to get whatever it is you got to get. So uh, keep that in mind as well. And when you when you look at your individual gear, just just figure out, hey, what do I absolutely need to have on my body? And when I deploy from my vehicle to move to this position, how am I going to make that happen? Um, and, and then how sustainable am I? Because a lot of times you guys could be on a crisis site for hours and hours and hours, depending on, you know, what the situation is um, or what the condition of your deployment is. So just keep that in mind. You might need to have, um, you might need to look at your gear and say, okay, this is, I need to make my shift from um, my wintertime gear. Now we're moving into summertime. So depending on where you're at, you're, you're probably going to want to shift your loadout in that, in that bag to reflect uh, what you're going to need for the seasonal conditions, whether that be, you know, to, to give yourself some shade from the sun, um, to get, you know, to keep you on station longer. Uh, and if you're going to be able to do that in your position, um, you want to have some options, right? So, and then obviously wintertime, it's a completely different ball of wax because you have to maintain observation while you're you know, freezing outside potentially. So things like that. Um, so we talk about all that stuff in the course and we give guys some, some perspective on how we do it. Um, and how we've, uh, how we figured out different ways of doing things and everybody seems to get a lot out of it. So, and, and people are making active changes. So I guess, um, we're kind of coming up here on the, on the close of the podcast, but, you know, in closing, I want to make the statement that, you know, these things that, um, that I get excited about in terms of like, Hey, um, your time being wasted, it's a real thing. And it's important that if, that we are constantly sitting back and looking at what our purpose is when we occupy this role as a teacher, doesn't matter what subject you're teaching, doesn't matter what you're doing. You need to be in this for the student's experience and not yours. If you're in this for your experience or you're there to push your own agenda, um, then you're in the wrong line of work, period, end of story. And I have absolutely zero problems telling anybody that because the at the end of the day, the student that is coming to you is the individual that's going to utilize this information that you're teaching them. And in a professional capacity, that very well could shift the outcome of their life 
based upon whatever situation it is. We've seen that all the time. Uh, and you guys as law enforcement officers live with that possibility every single day. So it's, imp- it's important to me that you guys understand, you know, where we're coming from and we're not building a curriculum to, to, to say, you know what, we're going to go have fun for four days, you know, and, and this is what, this is what I think that you should do. No, no, no. We sit down as a group and we say, okay, this is, this is overall their mission and what do we need these guys to be competent in in order to accomplish that mission when they leave? And we take feedback. We look at our students and we say, okay, what do you guys need? What do you feel as though that you need? And, and a lot of that comes from asking those guys, hey, what do you think your mission is? What do you think defines your role? Like, what do you think your definition is? Granted, a lot of that's after, obviously after the case. But what that does is it allows us to see where everybody's at in the class and identify, all right, this is where their headspace is and this is what they think their job is and this is therefore um, what we're going to do to support them in that. Now, if it's way off base, you know, our job as teachers is to guide that student back into center and get them more aligned with what the overall goal and mission is. But largely, we haven't had to do that in a very drastic way. Um, but the, the, the other thing is that like, we have students come up to us at the end of the class and say, man, that was, that was badass. That was a great four days of training. Um, it's like the best four days of training we had. And we don't always need that feedback and I appreciate it. I don't want to, I'm not saying that, but let's be honest. We're not robots. We're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. We put together curriculum based upon our experience, but that doesn't mean that we're above changing it or looking at it from a different point of view because it's important for us to constantly evolve that's why we go put ourselves out there at shooting competitions that's why we go put ourselves out there in front of our students and say hey we're not going to ask you to do anything that we won't be prepared to do ourselves um so when it comes to that stuff like we want the real feedback don't give me the bullshit song and dance yeah i thought your course was awesome like i i I don't, I, I mean, I appreciate that, but we know that we can always, we can always make things better. We can always improve things. So, um, if there's things in there that you guys that are, that if you are listening to this podcast and you did participate in MSTOA, you know, just sit on it for a few days. It's been a week now. So, you know, make sure that you're saying, yeah, you know what? I think, I kind of think this could have been a little bit different or whatever it is. We want to hear from you. It's important. Um, we're never going to be, um, it's never going to be our way or the highway. And I know that there's curriculum out there that, that is that. And, and I had students approach me at the end of the class and made that statement. Um, and it, and it does get me, it does get me irritated because again, it's, it's more along the lines of wasting your time. And that irritates me that your time is wasted. Um, you do not like if you're, if, if you're being trained or required to low crawl at high speed across an open grass firing line and build a sling supported prone position and shoot a B27 target at 100 yards, be suspect. Be very, very, very suspect. That is a complete and utter waste of your time. Um, so take that for what it's worth, guys. Um, this I, this is important because a lot of the sniper aspect of things on the professional side of the house, um, we are making active moves to give you guys more resources and give you guys more um, 
more methods or thought processes to solve your problems that are unique to your uh, professional skill sets. So um, with, you know, with that being said, I hope you guys got something out of the episode. It was pretty much just a, it was a debrief episode talking about training philosophy, uh, talking about where we're coming from when we build curriculum. And I just wanted to hit some things um, on the the debrief aspect of like what we saw in the course and things like that. But overall, the improvement, um, the improvement from day one to the end of day four when we shot our evaluations was fantastic. It was astounding. Um, we had a 70, 75%, 75% passing rate in terms of students shot 80% or better of the total score. And, uh, we shot, our scoring system was out of 43 points. Um, so 70% of our shooters shot better than 80% on that. And that's awesome. So, and we'll put that, uh, if you guys are looking for that eval, um, cruise over to the modern day rifleman network and then get yourself into the sniper section. We're actually going to post that up in there, uh, for everybody to see. And, um, uh, we, cause we want you guys to shoot it as well and provide us your feedback and, uh, and say, Hey, like, you know, this is a work in progress. We're never going to sit here and be like, yeah, um, let's put it this way. We don't want to be, we don't want to be like still standing on the FBI sniper qualification as the, you know, the end all be all when the last time that that thing was like, I can't even remember the last time it was probably before I was friggin' born. Uh, it's been the same qualification ever since I can remember from, you know, the time I started thinking about the sniper stuff when I was 14 years old. So um, we're never going to be that. We're always going to be constantly changing things and adjusting the standard to the current level of modern marksmanship mechanics and capabilities with a precision rifle. So that's all what you can expect from us at Modern Day Sniper. We're just uh, we're here to, to shift paradigms and, and raise the bar and leave a mark wherever it is that we go. So um, thank you guys for listening. Again, this uh, these things, I hope uh, that this didn't come across as a ramble. Um, I hope that it came across as more along the lines of something educational as we try to keep it with the podcast. Uh, we appreciate all of you guys that are listeners. Uh, we appreciate the fact that um, you guys uh, that you guys didn't crucify us for taking a month and a half break from the podcast. So uh, we're we're back at it, and we're going to be uh, we're posting these episodes on a regular basis, and and probably taking advantage of the uh, you know the solo podcast episodes uh, here and there, and kind of kind of allowing you guys to have a you know that um, the individual perspectives, if you will. So. I guess I'll leave you guys with the fact, uh, readdressing that first, um, that first topic, you know, perspective, perspective is, is scary, right? So the hard part about perspective in order for us to see another perspective without any bias, man, we have got to abandon the current one. So that way we can be open to that new information. And unfortunately for the majority of people, that is absolutely terrifying to do. It threatens the very fabric of what makes us a human, and that's our ego. Um, I'm learning about this stuff as well. I'm definitely by no means an expert, but I've, um, you know, I've done enough thought process on this and and had enough experience to to be like to to have an understanding that there is definitely truth to that. And in the firearms training community, 
that is a major, major blocked progression is the ability to see that outside perspective and see it from somebody else's point of view. And the problem, the reason why it's so hard is that in order for us to do that, we have to abandon our perspective and abandoning our perspective is super scary because that also says, what if that other perspective is right? And what if mine is actually wrong? So that's like that internal struggle. Um, But if you're in the space of teaching people, uh, especially in the professional world, that needs to be at the forefront of your mind every single day because if it's not, you're doing your students a disservice. And um, I know that there's really good groups of dudes out there um, that are that are doing that, that are always going to be shifting and at the forefront. And we have to be uh, very, very proactive in our fight against dogmatic information in this world because it only takes a second to get dogmatic information to take hold and it can take generations to get it to go away. So even when we know that the right answer is what it is, it's that institutional inertia that just keeps on chugging. So um, it's a challenge. It's easier said than done. But as a collective, we can definitely get it done. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Appreciate your time. And uh, we will see you guys uh, next time. Until then, you know the drill. Keep your faces on the gun. And uh, we appreciate everything that you guys do out there as law enforcement officers. Thank you for keeping our communities safe. Take care and we are out.